This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Harold Johnson to the program. How you doing, Harold? Hi, Bob. I'm, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. You bet. Harold Johnson is author and publisher of the historical novel New York, 1609. New York, 1609. Let me ask you first about yourself. You were an immigrant to America, what were the circumstances that uh, led your family here? Well, uh, it was it was post World War II in Germany, and uh, things were pretty pretty awful, as you can imagine. Bombed out buildings, no food, no work. My dad was from Latvia, living in Germany, and Germans weren't interested in hiring a Latvian to do anything. So after a few years of, of struggling with my mom and dad marrying and me uh, being born, uh, <laughs> they decided to try their luck in this place called America, and off we went. Uh, so as a child, I was, I was sort of just along for the ride when the, uh, the SS Neptunia, that was our ship, the name of our ship, sailed into New York Harbor on a nice day in 1953. Um, what I didn't realize until much later was that we were tracing the same water route into New York that Henry Hudson followed on his voyage, really? uh, voyage of exploration in 1609. Of course, it wasn't called New York then. Mm-hmm. When your family landed, did you stay in New York City, or where did you go? No, we, we kept going. We had a, a sponsor in the Washington, D.C. area, and you had to have a sponsor to immigrate. And we just uh, got on a train. <laughs> we were we didn't understand, or my parents didn't understand the weather. It was uh, late June, and it was you know boiling, and they were wearing thick wool coats and clothes, and so we were sweating like crazy, and uh, trying to get to the train station. And then we just took the trains and made our way down to D.C. Mm. Now, thirty years after you and your family uh, came to America, and this is really interesting. You swam around Manhattan Island. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, it is, it's a little, it is interesting, uh, sure. It was a race put on by the city to promote New York's, uh, quote, cleaner water. Ha ha. I got dysentery from the swim. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and my good friend Richard saw a notice about this event, and we, we decided to enter and, and give it a go. We were, we were both, you know, very experienced open water swimmers and thought we had a good shot. And this was the summer of 83, exactly 30 years after I had, you know, immigrated. I ended up winning the race. Uh, it's 30 miles, eight and a quarter hours of nonstop swimming. And Richard came in second right behind me. And Sports Illustrated did a whole huge spread on it. Wow. So you had your 15 minutes of fame from that. <laughs> exactly. Now, in addition uh, to these connections to New York City, as you described the, the, the swimming race and, and uh, coming to America through th that area, are there other connections that made you want to write a book about the birth of New York City? Yes, indeed. Um, over the years, I would visit the city many times on, you know, on business, trade shows, you know, whatever. And on each trip, I'd end up 
usually staring at the waters around around Manhattan because it's an island. And of course, all the tall buildings and all the people, so many people. And I and I kept wondering, what was this place like before? I mean, really like at the beginning, and how did things get to be this way? And that's always fascinated me with um, other important locations like Jamestown in Virginia, Kitty Hawk in North Carolina, and others. And I'd go to these places, and I, I just, I literally would just close my eyes and just imagine what it must have been like at the start, whether it's 400 years ago, 300, 200, or whatever. And it all sort of fell into place when my mom sent me an old photo album um, of that 1953 voyage that we had taken with little, you know, the little black and white photos mm-hmm. and her hand, uh, handwritten descriptions. Uh, and I started thinking about this long thread of history relating to New York and my place in it. And I've always loved historical fiction books, Michener, Follett, you know, those sorts of authors. So I searched for books about how New York City got started. I mean, there had to be, you know, there had to be some um, about one of the most important places on Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I found a couple, but none, and I mean zero, told the story from the very beginning, which to me is 1609 with Henry Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, the lone exception is Washington Irving's uh, Knickerbocker satire he wrote in 1809, but that's that's more than that's uh, you know over 200 years old. And because I had done a lot of writing before, I just decided I was going to write about the birth of New York City, mm-hmm. the birth of New York. Well, New York City, I mean as a novel, and I did it. And surprisingly, I'm the first one to do that. And this has been confirmed by the New York City chapter of the, uh, I guess, the Historical Novel Society. There is a Historical Novel Society? Yes, there is one. (laughs) And they have chapters all over the country and all over the world, and and I went right to them, and I said, well, these people will know. And they said, you know, you're right. Nobody's done this before. How about that? So there you have it. You're now living in Charlottesville, Virginia. Can you tell us about your career and how you ended up in Virginia? Sure. And it's a whole other story. I have a long career as um, I've been a filmmaker, an art director, a designer, a writer, a magazine publisher, a marketing consultant. I mean, you name it. Um, after 20 years in L.A., my wife and I had basically had it with, with big city living. And we wanted to find a smaller you know, quieter place in a sort of a country setting with, with trees and space. And we just lucked into finding this small university town called Charlottesville. That was also, by the way, the home of Thomas Jefferson. So we packed up and we moved 3,000 miles uh, to where we are today. Hmm. But we're still within striking distance of the biggest city of them all, which is New York, yep. and which we still visit. Well, and I feel, feel compelled to bring it up. I mean, uh, you described it as uh, small and peaceful, but uh, of course that changed. There were the, those violent protests there, weren't there earlier? That's very, it's a very year. unfortunate. And now this little town of ours, this little university town, is known worldwide for that uh, you know, horrendous uh, situation. It's, it's very unfortunate. And uh, by the way, did you do you know that New York City is was the world's first megacity? And by megacity, I mean with a population of more than 10 million. Really? It was it was, it was yeah. the first one. And Tokyo is now the most populous in the world. Yeah. And by now, I mean the New York City or New York City Metro is it's nowhere or let me ask you is it near number 1 still? I mean Mexico City's no, bigger. I think you know I looked at the the list uh, a while ago and maybe in like number 10 or something like that. There are plenty of cities now in China, 
as you can imagine, um, Tokyo, again, number one with 30, 30 million plus. New York's in the 20, 23 million metro area, you know, uh, plus uh, number. But it was, it was the first one, ahead of London, ahead of, you know, all the others. We'll be back in a moment with the Harold Johnson, author of the historical novel New York, 1609. We'll get to talking about the uh, novel in just a bit. This is Bob Cudmore on behalf of the Historian's Podcast. We depend on your financial contributions to keep us going. We have a GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2018. You can go there online and they'll walk you through how you can donate uh, to the podcast or the podcast fund, I should say. If you would rather donate by mail, you can make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to Bob Cudmore at 125 Horseman Drive in Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. On this episode of the Historian's Podcast, we're joined by Harold Johnson, author and publisher of the historical novel New York, 1609. Let me ask you about the novel itself now, New York, 1609. What's the basic gist of the story you tell? Well, here here it is in one sentence, Bob. Uh, a misunderstood but resourceful Native American confronts Dutch and English explorers, traders, and settlers at the 17th century birth of New York City and the island at its heart, Manhattan. That's basically the story. You tell the story of uh, a Lenape uh, Indian, uh, I believe named Dancing Fish? Yes, correct. And, and tell yeah. us a little bit more about Dancing well, Fish. Well, yeah, let me, let me just back up a little bit. The book alternates between European and, and uh, Lenape Indian points of view, tackling the challenges that, that both uh, the two groups faced at their first contact in the New York City area. So it, it jumps back and forth. And this is my main character, who is a, an indigenous Native American. They didn't call them Native Americans back then, but um, living in, the, in that area. And tell us about the Lenape. That, that was the Indian tribe that occupied uh, what is now New York City? Yes, that's, uh, that's the tribal name. Uh, they're now called the Delaware, but uh, they've changed names. But at the time, they were called Lenape. Actually, the, the name didn't come out until um, until much later. But that's that's what that's how we refer to them now. And they they live basically in the eastern New Jersey, New York City area. I mean, the other you know the other groups that you may have heard of, the Mohicans were north of that. The Mohawks were north of that. Um, and then we have you know plenty of others. I mean, there are many, many, many tribes and tribal names at the time. Now, the the premise, I, b- I believe, of the novel is that Dancing Fish uh, kind of goes on board the half moon with Henry Hudson and the and his men. Uh, it, is there any evidence to suggest that uh, a Native American did that? Uh, there is a debate about that. Some people say yes, some people say no. <laughs> uh, I've studied all of this, as you can imagine, you know, and lots and lots, lots of research. It's it's perfectly conceivable that it that it did happen. Whether anyone knows for sure, uh, no one knows for sure. Um, but I, I I believe so, and so it's uh, it's in my story. Yeah. Um, 
And what happened? You, you maybe gave the answer to this, but what happened to the Lenape people? They, their name was changed to Delaware, so that today there are still descendants of the uh, Delaware. Uh, yes, um, there's a myth, and I dispel the myth that uh, you know that they were all wiped out or whatever. Uh, yes, there were there were definitely deaths from disease and uh, you know from conflicts and things like that. But they hung on, uh, some of them at least, for another 150 years, negotiating treaties and land deals. Ultimately, though, most and then all of them migrated north and west and ended up to this day in either Oklahoma. Wisconsin, or most especially on, for this group, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's where the descendants of, of the people from 400 years ago are living to this day. When you were uh, listing some of the other <clears throat> Indian tribes or nations in New York, we're, we're most familiar, and on the podcast probably, I've done more interviews about the Iroquois and their their member nations, the uh, uh, starting with the Mohawk and the Oneidas and the Senecas and the Cayugas and the Tuscarora, and in general, uh, the the Mohawks ended up in Canada. I mean, they were forced out of the Mohawk Valley because they supported the British during the uh, the War of, of Independence. What what about the Lenape? I know this is after the period you're dealing with. Were they? still known as the Lenape then, and did they fight either for the crown or for George Washington and the revolution? Well, that's a good question. I don't really deal with that, and I, and I sort of stopped my research uh, after my time period. My time period is 1609 to 1644, uh, and that's the time period that no one had, had covered before. Uh, and that was, by the way, that's the Dutch period in, uh, in New York. That's when the Dutch were were uh, were active. Uh, the English took over in 1640, uh, 16, uh, 1664. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't really deal with that. And the Lenape by then had uh, there were just a few in in their homeland, and the rest had moved on. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned the um, the Dutch period. You uh, said that you did research or uh, with into Russell Shorto's book, and and maybe. Uh, and certainly others as well, the island at the center of the world. Um, we uh, just had Russell Shorto on the podcast talking about his new book about the American Revolution, but we knew him up here, upstate, because the Dutch records, and I don't know if you went up there or not, uh, ended up in Albany, uh, translated from the original Dutch by a Mohawk Valley guy, uh, Charlie Gehring, and that's yep. where Russell Shorto did a lot of his research. Did you as well? Oh, I've, I've researched. I didn't go there physically, but I know all about that, and I've researched those writings, uh, translations, and uh, Mr. Gehring, and uh, and many, many more. Absolutely, that was all part of my research. Uh, and I did. I did a lot of. I, I researched uh, at least a year before I wrote a single word, hmm. um, and then and then uh, crafted my story based on based on that based on that research historical research. Now, now, assuming Dancing Fish was a historical character, what would his life and the Lenape life be like in uh, 1608, let's say, before uh, Henry Hudson gets there? Well, uh, I mean, it would be as as you would expect. They were um, hunter-gatherer types. They would have small uh, uh, habitat sites. And, and in fact, in New York... 
um, there were two uh, movements of, of the people in small groups. They were called bands, bands of maybe 50 people, let's say a few families. Uh, they would be on Manhattan Island in what's called the good months, which is spring, summer, and fall, uh, because the weather's good. You know, the fish are running, and uh, there's plenty of uh, you know plenty of plant life, plenty of animal life. But in the winter, because of of the topography and the geography, they would tend to retreat to the mainland, which could be in the Bronx, which is now called the Bronx. Um, uh, you know, further up into Long Island, uh, maybe over to New Jersey, and so they were they were seasonal in their in their in their habitats you know on the island for the good months off the island for the bad months so they went kind of went back and forth and they were hunter gatherer uh, people mm-hmm. they had they had no draft animals um, you know they uh, they had dogs uh, but they were they were they were very experienced with um, with the plant life with eating plant life and, and, and picking the right berries at the right time and and um, and using the animals and using the skins of the animals uh, to keep the mosquitoes. They used bear grease and just rubbed themselves with bear grease. You can imagine that. <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. kept the mosquitoes off. So there, <laughs> that was the first uh, mosquito repellent right there. And again, how are your, do you portray uh, Henry Hudson and his crew? He actually was, although he was sailing for the Dutch, he was actually English, as I recall. And Correct. It, he was it, hired it, what, by the... By the um, the East India Company at that time. Uh, uh, he was basically their employee because he was very experienced. He was the most experienced North Atlantic explorer, and they were searching for the fast route to the Indies, to the Spice Islands, and uh, you know there was the long way around Africa. And they said there's got to be a, weather, a better way. And of course, everybody was looking for that. And Hudson had tried uh, already before to, to find it, and they said, look, we want you to try again, but we want you to go the northern route. We want you to go over Russia and over. They knew the world was round. Um, most people thought it was egg-shaped, but they, they said, go over Russia and you know, find that fast route. And he started. This was his third voyage. He took four, four voyages. Uh, the fourth was his last. Uh, was, uh, that, was, that was the fatal voyage. But anyway, on the third one, which was this one, he started to go north, and he ran into ice, and he ran into you know all kinds of uh, cold weather, and he said, oh, "This isn't going to work." And um, and he had in the in the back of his mind that there had to be another route across this new continent called America, and he was determined, I think, to to go there. And so he just turned right around, made a 180 degree turn, and just went west. And then down south, and the reason is, and we know this, that Captain John Smith in Jamestown had started up a, a you know a little uh, correspondence with him, and he gave him, and and John Smith gave him a tip, and he said, "You should try north of us. I think there's there's your I think your passage is going to be there." And so he did that. Uh, he had to get the agreement of the crew, which was half Dutch, half English because he needed them on his side, and he sort of convinced them. And he said, okay, let's go for it. Mm. And they that started that whole part of the voyage, which ended up in New York. Mm. Okay, so I was a little confused there. John Smith's telling him to, to take what is we think of as the Hudson River? Is that... He did, well, he didn't... There, nobody knew there was a Hudson River. There wasn't a Hudson River. I mean, there were, there were rivers, and he gave the tip of going north from Jamestown, Virginia. He said, if somewhere up, go further north, maybe around. They knew about parallels, uh, and this was the 40th parallel. 
and, he, and I don't, I can't remember if he specified the fourth parallel, but he said, "Go north of where we are here in Jamestown." And now, in your um, novel, in New York, sixteen oh nine, you deal with Hudson and his voyage. Uh, what a, what about the early Dutch settlements? Do you take it into that time well, that, when? Ab- absolutely. See, that's what started. That's that's why I call it the birth of New York City, because. Hudson, even though he failed to find the, quote, Northwest Passage, uh, what he did was, when he got back, the the investors and the people in the East India Company, who were the, the best traders in the world at the time, they, they, were, they were, you know, the best business people there were, they heard about this, and there were reports in the journals, uh, his, his first, his first uh, mate's name was Robert Jewett, and he published his journal, and they talked all about these beavers and fur-bearing animals, and there was this cornucopia of beautiful land and resources, and who knows, you know, precious metals and minerals, which they never found, but they alluded to that kind of that kind of thing. And the traders in Amsterdam said, wait a minute, this sounds like, uh, this sounds like uh, we have some potential here. And they started then sending other ships and uh, other traders, and they started the whole thing with a trading outpost at the lower tip of Manhattan. And that and that was all it was supposed to be, as a trading outpost. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. And that is, that became New York City. And all that started with Henry Hudson's basically failed attempt at finding a passage to, uh, to the Indies. He only got up to just above Albany. And then, you know, he ran into shallow water and rapids and things like that. He had to turn, he was very disappointed. He turned around and went back but he took the story with him of what he had seen, and the, and the uh, the business people in Amsterdam latched onto that and said, "Let's go there." Hmm. What did uh, how did Dancing Fish and the other Lenape interact with those early Dutch settlers? Well, that's <laughs> that's the whole story. That's the story I tell, and you can imagine it was uh, it had its good moments and it had its horrific moment, moments, and those horrific moments are documented in the historical record. And uh, it didn't didn't end up uh, too well. But then the whole story of Native Americans in in this country, we all know how that how that uh, kind of ended up. So, but I go into the details of that, mm. and we know certain events that did happen, and I can talk about you know historical accuracy and that sort of thing. Yeah. If, if you want. Well, can you give us an example of a horrific event? Well, there was, there were massacres <laughs> in, in 1644, and under the director at the time was Willem Kieft. See, what happened was they tried to buy the island, and this is the legendary story, you know, buying Manhattan for beads and trinkets and things like that. The director at the time, there was always a director uh, that the Amsterdam people, the business people, uh, by then it was called the West India Company. They installed a sort of the head, the head guy, the manager, whatever you want to call him. They called him the director. The first one, or maybe it was the second or third one, tried to buy, and he failed. Then they send over this guy named Peter Minwit, which is actually Minwi because he was French-speaking. So Minwi is the word is the French word for midnight. They sent him, and he made the deal. He actually that's the art of the deal, and he made the deal. Uh, that was in 1626. And what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, an example of uh, something horrific that happened. You said one thing right. was uh, well, there the were massacres. Next, the next director was named, actually the second one after that was named Willem Kieft, and he did not like the uh, 
the indigenous people uh, very much, and he wanted to. Uh, he started taxing them for no for no good reason, for quote protection, <clears throat> kind of like protection money, mm-hmm. and they re- they revolted. They said, you know, we we're not going to do that. We're not going to pay you these taxes, and things got very tense, and they exploded, and uh, he you know he. Uh, he was a, he was a tough guy, and he went after them. And, uh, and there were massacres and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, horrible descriptions that are in the historical record of, of, uh, of what happened in that 1644-1645 time period. And that's where that's where I end my story. Harold Johnson, author of the book New York 1609. We have a, a few minutes left. I want to ask you about the book itself. You say it's independently published. What, what does that mean? It means, and I've been, you know, I was traditionally published before with my nonfiction books that I, that I had um, in the early 2000s, and I decided with this that I was going to go a different route, that I was going to go and just do it all myself. You couldn't do this before. Ten years ago, was, I mean, you couldn't do this at all. And I just, um, you know, decided I was going to go direct to readers. I was going to skip all the frustration of waiting, sending out queries and manuscripts and all that sort of thing, and going through the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers are the agents and the publishers. And I said, you know, I can do this myself. I, I can, you can do this yourself with the whole revolution with Amazon and Kindle and all of that. And I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And because I had been a magazine publisher, I knew how to do this stuff, and a writer and an editor and all that. And I am now an independent author slash publisher. I licensed the cover image. I formatted the ebook. I designed the paperback. I created the maps. There are four maps in the book. I decide uh, where it's going to be sold. In this case, Amazon, because Amazon sells the majority of all books anyway. I do all the marketing. I'm talking to you, <laughs> which which I find creative and fascinating in its own way. The only thing I don't do is the main editing, because I need other eyes. For, and for that, I hire freelance editors, who, mm-hmm. by the way, are many times the same editors being used by the traditional publishers. Mm-hmm. I just hire them on a freelance basis. So it's the best of all worlds for me. And before you uh, produced uh, New York 1609, you wrote four novellas or shorter stories that, uh, to some extent, are the basis of the longer book? Correct. I, I actually wrote and published this story in four installments. It's called a, it's called a serial, which is the way Charles Dickens wrote, and many many people published Hemingway. Many people published back in in the old days like that, as short little e-books at first, just to get a feel for it and see what kind of reaction there was. And people really liked them, and 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 people wanted me. They wanted it all in one full-length work that they could hold on to. Uh, so I combined the four parts, I expanded the content, I added a prologue and afterward, and I did a whole new round of uh, substantive, what's called substantive editing, and the result is 579 pages of New York 1609, which went on sale in May. Mm. How's it going? Oh, it's, 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 going, it's going fine, but it's just the beginning for me. I mean, mm-hmm. unlike... Uh, earlier my earlier technical nonfiction books that i wrote that were basically out of date the moment they hit the streets new york 69 it's going to sell into the future you know i expect people to be reading this 50 to 100 years from now Hmm. and and i like knowing that Uh, and then obviously i I have the audiobook version to work on that hasn't happened yet and who knows maybe a limited tv series i mean anything is possible and you have a a lively website uh, haroldjohnson.com 
and his uh, name is spelled, or his first name, H-A-R-A-L-D, haroldjohnson.com, uh, that uh, gets you attention from, you know, online folks? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's my hub. It's my online hub. I post, um, I guess what you'd call blog posts about my, uh, my books, my research, my swimming around. I have all kinds of uh, my trips to New York and, you know, my thoughts about... Uh, about this this whole uh, writing life that, I, that I'm now involved in. The new historical fiction novel, New York, 1609, by Harold Johnson. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.